Manufacturer Podcast. Today, it's the Sustainability Series Finale. Find out how sustainability managers and officers are making a difference at their companies and how the role has changed over the past few years. Giving us some insight into government goings-on, we welcome Policy Connect into the studio to give us an update on what's good, what needs to change, and what needs to continue in industrial policy around reducing carbon. And improving knowledge, stellar interviewees, a rogue swear word, and the piss pronunciation of our worms. We look back over what has been a truly enjoyable series. Good morning, good morning, and hello again. Hope you've had a Good week, listener. Friday, the 25th of February, Sustainability Series, Episode 6. Crikey. We're hoping to provide some calm after the storms. Message Joe and Lana from the editorial team back with me again. Morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. This episode marks the last in our Sustainability Series. Everyone say, aww. Aww. Oh, that's gone quick, oh, isn't it? Oh, that's really sad. Say R again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it has gone quick, and we'll be reflecting on how much fun we've had during this series a little later. Uh, but first of all, leading natural ingredients manufacturer Stevenson has appointed its first ever dedicated sustainability manager. Uh, Marie Masonette was appointed to the specially created role, as Stevenson say, it further illustrates its ongoing commitment to sustainability in the personal care market. Marie spoke to me earlier in the week. Let's hear what she had to say. Well, first of all, look, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, it's great to have you along. I'd be intrigued just first of all um, to find out what your role is all about really. What are your main duties as a sustainability manager? So I would say obviously there's a sustainability strategy for the company. So it is implementing the big strategy, you know, working on different pillars um, with some net zero packaging, raw material, but also, and I, what I really like about this specific role, I don't know if it's the same, you know, in different type of corporate job, a big, bigger size company, I would say. But what I've been asked to do is also to make sustainability part of everybody, everybody's life. So what it means is, of course, I have deliverables, you know, we need to work on raw material base, we need to work on this packaging, as I said, the net zero engineering side. But it's also about um, raising interest, but also raising questions. Um, raising question on the process we're doing at the moment for everybody within the company. So I think I spent the first one or two months to just talk to people to see what they were doing, how they were doing it, and maybe questioning it together. So yes, there's a massive job, I would say, on the engineering side of it, on the purchasing side of it. But I, I really believe it's by getting people on board that you make it um, easier and maybe you make it go even further. And then prior to this role, you were a raw material buyer for Stevenson. So you were sourcing eco-friendly ingredients from across the world. I'd imagine has this helped you in your current role? I would imagine it it probably has, hasn't it? 100%. So um, before working in the sustainability field, um, I was a buyer for seven years, you know, in a big corporation uh, working at um, 
purchasing level, you know, negotiating contract. But um, the school I did uh, in, in Paris was a school that was teaching people to do more innovation capture instead of negotiating price with a baseball bat. Uh, so it's it's really something that was interesting because instead of just focusing on price, you know, and lead time, um, it was more about how can we make it better in the whole process? How can we create value? I got to learn a bit more about the field, about the market, thanks to management suppliers also that were more than suppliers, but partner, I would say. So of course, it got me to learn a lot about the raw material side of it. But also, I also had this hat of like trying to find the innovation more than trying to find a better price. So I've always had that, you know, that way of thinking of, OK, it's a bit further than the price. What? How can we make it better? Um, but also what I did during the time of being a buyer, I spent a lot of time on sites making batches with um, with operators. Um, and I think it really helps also because it really shows you that what you do on your spreadsheet is not always adaptable on what's happen that's happening outside. And I think it's always really important to keep both in mind. So today, when I want to implement something related to sustainability, the first thing I do is think outside of the box, you know, and bring the people who actually do it manually around the table and think about is it going to be easy for you? Is it going to be better? Is it going to... Because you don't want sustainability to be a pain for people. And that's the last thing you want. You want to get them on board, as I said earlier. So yes, I would say the purchasing role really helped because I understood the market we were working in. But I think what really helped too is spending time outside making batch with my safety shoes and, you know, and my helmet and everything. So... I would say it's a balance of both. With your role, does it extend to implementing and encouraging sustainable practice among colleagues? Is the kind of behaviours at home discussed with, with staff? This is definitely something I'm trying to do. So it's starting. So I've only joined this role in September. So it's yeah. been six months. Yeah, OK. Um, It's been six months. So. At the beginning, it was really implementing it within the company and trying to change the habit within the company. Now it's starting to to switch like to home. How do you do this at home? You know, so what I try to do is always um, send some tips. Um, you know, not every day because I can't do it. I have a job too, but send them. Oh, I found this. You know, it creates. It's a deodorant that you just need to buy the recharge. You don't need to use the plastic. And that, that actually came from one of my colleagues who came to see me and say, oh, have you seen this? But yes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it from not a newsletter, but kind of like good tips, sustainable tips, easy things to switch, I would say. But also, um, it's funny, I had a, a, a person I work with, an engineer, uh, Dan, who came to see me this week. And he was like, right, we're building a new canteen. What type of information do you want to put there for people to bring back home? You know, what, how can we drive the change? But in that sense, I think sustainability won already because if someone, you know, came to see me to say, how can we drive the change? It's one more person that helps me to do that. So, yes, we are trying to do it. We're trying to communicate about good habits, less good habits, things that are easy to change. But I feel like we're not mature enough to put it in a more um, official way. So what I hope, you know, it's within a year 
having an army of sustainable people with me who will, you know, like do that. But we do it internally for the moment. And I think once I have everybody on board internally, we'll move to home and how, how we can focus on a more personal level. But at the moment, having people coming to me and telling me, actually, I have an idea. Can we just wash the jars we use instead of throwing them away? It's a win. It is a win and it's step by step and it's only been six months and by wanting to run too fast, we're not going to make it. So I think we need to become not irreproachable because perfect is complicated, um, but getting better to like push the behavior, I would say after. Yeah, it's quite, quite an interesting one that because on the one hand, I would assume if you're working for a really sustainably minded company, then your job might in some ways be a little bit easier but then again if you've got people coming to you saying oh let's try this and we're doing that what could we do you know sometimes maybe you feel you have to oh just rein things in a little bit you know i think it's about putting responsibility on people i, I don't mean that sure. in a bad way sorry for the way yeah. i say it but okay you have this idea of project how why you know just bringing a bit of like questions and uh, empowering people to do it. And I think that's what Stevenson is really good at. I remember when I first joined as a raw material buyer, um, my boss at the time told me, change everything you can. And if it doesn't work, we just go back to what we were doing before. And I think, you know, when you join a company at like, I think I was 29 at the time, it's so empowering to have someone telling you like, just do it. If it works, it's great. If it doesn't, well, we'll just try something else. And I remember I worked for, big, you know, like companies in Paris, in La Défense, in this type of places. And sometimes I felt a bit like um, follow the process and you'll think when you're a bit older. <laughs> and I think I, I got really completely like surprised when I joined this one because it was literally, well, you have some ideas, you're interested in sustainability, just try and do your thing. And I don't have a degree in sustainability. I have business school degree, you know, it's not but it's still like, actually you're passionate about it. So try it. And and I think that's why it's easier with a company like Stevenson because they let you be as an individual and that's really empowering. Marie, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for all your insight and we all wish you the best of luck. And with thank your, you very uh, much, Tom, for your world. time. Thank you for inviting me. My thanks to Marie for speaking to me there. And it ties in quite nicely to an interview that you did, actually, Joe, with Ben Goodair. He's at Renishaw, and he spoke of his role as Chief Sustainability Officer, a similar sort of role to Marie's, but he spoke to you about how it's changed over the years. Yeah, really interesting chat. Ben, of course, one of our uh, top 100 alumni from, from 2021, so it's a very interesting chat with him. Um, I think, you know, we, we talk about how sustainability is, you know, moving up the the priority, the business priority agenda for manufacturers. I don't think that's illustrated any more, any high, more highly than um, than the role of the of the chief sustainability officer or, or equivalent at, at manufacturers. And Ben spoke around how the how the role is becoming. It's a much more broader, real business strategy role. Working with the senior leadership teams, the three people I work with the most is our. Um, head of legal, company secretary, head of comms, and our strategy director. Whereas five years ago, the people I worked with the most was the facilities management team and equivalent management teams across the world. It's completely changed. All this, the compliance and numbers bit is a little bit of the job. 
<laughs> and the strategy yeah. side is yes. becoming much larger, um, which has been an interesting learning curve. This is why I think you, you're seeing people become sustainability professionals from in fairly senior positions, but they've come from purchasing or comms or marketing roles, even finance roles, because they get the strategy side. It's really kind of moving up into a sort of C-suite level role. And he, and he spoke about the, some of the drivers for this, for this change and the fact that the role is becoming much more significant in the minds and the, and, the, and the opinions of customers, which is definitely changing manufacturing methodologies and strategies. Mm. Um, he, he cited a couple of really important Renishaw customers who are now saying that you will have a net zero plan. You will have, uh, you will report against the sustainable development goals or we won't buy your product. Um, and that, you know, that definitely puts you in the limelight. Um, mm. <laughs> positively or negatively. Um, but I mean, within Renishaw, we, the sustainability is on every board agenda and that, that's a new thing um, in the kind of the last six to 12 months um it is one of the top 10 priority thing items on the board agenda um it wasn't previously cso's have to have enough knowledge to sit with any head of head office function and know what they're talking about mm. uh and as well as the technical sustainability stuff which is difficult enough to keep up with anyway and it's changing all the time he said that, you know he has to be the the absolute generalist as a sustainability professional and you've got to be able to perform in all those areas and understand what you're talking about and of course advise on those areas on how you embed sustainability into into business processes so it's a very interesting chat yeah it sounded it and a very apt name for a sustainability officer ben goodair as opposed to ben Bad air, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And a good egg by the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, absolutely. interesting interview. And isn't it just cool that these jobs, like, you know, these titles actually exist? Like, you know, I don't think they would have done 10 years ago, not just sustainability officers, but people that are looking after health and well-being and inclusion officers and that sort of thing. It's just it's just heartening to see, isn't it, that companies are, are, are pushing these roles and they're so more frequent than I think, you know, they used to be in the workplace. It's yeah, he's, he sort of said as well that he's becoming less of a – of a driving force in the workplace. Whereas, you know, five years ago, he might be having to sort of bang the drum and, you know, knock people's heads together, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Whereas, whereas now he's, uh, he's almost a res restraining voice. He can be, you know, where people are sort of really on board with it and want to, want to, want to run before they can, they can walk sometimes. And he's sometimes has to put the brakes on and just say, you know, you know, let's look at this data. Let's not make sure we're not greenwashing. Now, Policy Connect is a cross-party think tank specialising in supporting parliamentary groups. They support the all-party parliamentary manufacturing group, APMG. Uh, they'll be coming on the pod over the weeks and months to tell us how government legislation and regulation could affect manufacturers. So we have Florian Finion on the podcast. Florian, thank you very much for coming in and joining us. Uh, you made it. Thankfully. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> no worries, <laughs> despite some uh, train delays. Hopefully you were um, relatively um, unaffected by the storms recently. Luckily enough, yeah. Well, that's, that's thankful to hear. Um, look, sustainability is uh, obviously a big issue. Um, manufacturers racing towards these lofty net zero goals. Uh, but as far as 
government goes, are they making it easy enough for businesses at the moment, do you feel? I think government really understand the challenge that we've got ahead of us and the short amount of time that we've got to meet the goals that we've set. Um, And there's so much happening in policy at the moment to make that easier through the net zero strategy and the industrial decarbonisation strategy. Um, There's a lot of innovation funding out there for alternative energy sources like hydrogen, like carbon capture and storage. And we've been talking to um, energy intensive manufacturers all the way down to SMEs. Um, And for them, that's really important, having government support and having a really clear decarbonisation plan, which is what we've asked for in a number of our reports. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done um, and the scale of the job um, is yet to be understood. But as for what's out there policy wise, it's pretty good. And stuff like the super deduction, um, R&D tax credits, other existing incentives. I mean, they do offer some great opportunities, don't they, for, for manufacturers to yep. you know, revitalise their, their assets and their plants. So, but you believe the super deduction should be extended to 2030. It's due to run out next year. Why do you feel it should be extended? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was really a key recommendation for us because we understood that to meet 2050 goals, um, you really want to be transforming your manufacturing processes now in the next 10 to 15 years. And actually the super production and other capital allowances is a really good opportunity for green investment, investment in green technologies. If it ends next year, we're not giving manufacturers the time they need to really think about how they're going to change their factories, how they're going to change their processes. And actually they want to be able to invest in technologies further down the line that will be more advanced. So I think um, extending it gives them that opportunity to really think about what they want to do execute it in line with the 2050 goal and then digitalization is often cited as a huge factor to achieve reducing carbon do you believe it is the silver bullet if so what do you think needs to change in industrial policy um, I think we've always understood that digitalization is a really important tool. It's not the be-all and end-all because digital obviously has a carbon cost as well. Sure. Um, but industrial policy-wise, innovation, the catapults, all of these fantastic organizations working to help manufacturers become more industry for ready, um, that's really important that we have that funding and that government supports it. So yes, industrial policy still has a long way to go in terms of articulating what the needs of manufacturing will be long term. Um, But what's out there is good. And what we've called for in our reports and in our recommendations is around bringing them together and making it easier easier to access for both big manufacturers and SMEs. And actually, I'm hoping this podcast brings us closer as well. (laughs) So I'm actually excited for our next one. Me too. I have had it and no, it isn't. Uh, But it's my birthday. Why are you laughing? (laughs) I love how it's semi-grown Well, Get lost, Tom. (laughs) Stranger from the outside. Populated podcast previously. Does it even make sense? You can probably tell that Tom hasn't been drinking. (laughs) <laughs> this morning. Where the hell have you been, Lana? I can't contain my excitement, to be honest. I'm, I'm buzzing. So, as mentioned at the start of the podcast, it is the last episode of our sustainability series. It's been good fun, actually, guys. It has indeed. I've certainly enjoyed myself. Good fun. Yeah. Lana, any key takeaways for you? Any favourite moments of the first series of this podcast um yeah i mean i'm actually really sad that it's sort of come to an end i feel like i've become very attached 
to the topic. Um, <laughs> but I think my favourite moment was when I obviously couldn't say anything right. I it was one of our highlights as well, if it's any consolation. Nuclear Advanced Manufacturing Research Centre. Research Centre. That is a mouthful. Green alumin- aluminium. The supply chain perspective. Perspective. <laughs> Apparently I can't speak today. Why can't I speak today? Oh, you've said that wrong. I couldn't say, and let's see if I can say it now, aluminium. Oh, you've said that wrong. No, you can't. Correctly. <laughs> Obviously still another, haven't. Another epic fail. <laughs> Obviously it still haven't. You have, like, you've written this out and you must have thought, well, I've been saying this wrong, so now let's try and say it right. But once again, you've said it wrong. It's Is remarkable. it just because you watch maybe too much American TV and they obviously say aluminum? aluminum? I think I've just got a mental block. Like, I just can't... I get nervous as soon as I see the word and I just panic. Um, but no, seriously, I have loved all of it. Um, I think my favourite was our first ever episode that we did together. I think probably because we were all a little bit nervous. It was a new thing for us. We still felt like a fairly new team um but i've actually had so much fun even if i haven't known what was going on <laughs> half the time no I'm, I'm joking i've actually learned so much i think my best quote has got to be tom saying nut loaf even though i am 99% sure that it is nut roast well either way the most shocking part of that is the fact that you willingly ate it be it nut loaf or nut roast yeah yeah. shock for your christmas dinner but that episode was actually named nut loaf (laughs) so so (laughs) too late now we've had some fantastic contributors i mean we have certainly developed our favorites as well on on this on this podcast steve evans um at the ifm being one and he actually currently holds the title for first swear word on the podcast shit which got a laugh out of me. Of course it did. Uh, he was also joined by Michael Wignall from Microsoft. We reviewed uh, that one in the first episode of, uh, of the pod as well. He was excellent, two superb interviews. And then, as mentioned, both our internal contributors, when giving their examples of um, excellence in the sector, it was great to get their thoughts on that. But they mentioned the same companies and people, Accolade Wines and Richard Hagen at Crystal Doors, which is more an indication of just how well those guys are doing in their sustainable journeys. Editor Joe, what have you enjoyed? Well, not to sort of copy Lana or anything, but it was certainly good to to hark back to the, particularly in the early episodes, to to the the manufacturers leader, manufacturing leaders summit back in back in Liverpool in in November because you know I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that we could have named that the manufacturing leaders in sustainability summit so you know <laughs> such was the focus on sustainability during those two days and as you say the contributions from the likes of Steve Evans uh, and Michael Wignall and others as well um, Chris Fielden from Innocent Drinks certainly springs springs to mind and when he spoke about uh, Innocent's new new net zero factory that they've opened in in Rotterdam that was certainly very very interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean it's all it's all been great. It's all been eye opening, and uh, yeah, I think I think uh, we've been we've been brought closer together as a team. I think during these few weeks, I agree, and that was always my aim actually from the outset. I'm going to start crying. So that's great to hear, <laughs> and it's been a pleasure to have your company throughout too, listener. 
do stay with us. In fact, coming as soon as this time next week, we will have a new episode on a new series, and it's going to be, Lana... Skills. And people. And people. Fortunately, it's not people and skills and aluminium. <laughs> Let's never speak about that word ever again. A big, big thanks to Marie Masonette at Stevenson and Ben Goodair at Renishaw for chatting to us about their roles. Thanks also to the guys at Policy Connect for lending us the wonderful insight of Florian Finion. And thanks to my tremendous teammates, Joe and Lana. And of course, a big, big thank you to you two listener. Join us this time next week for our new series. Until then, have a great weekend. Take care. Oh, my God.